Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. We will get to our question for today in just a moment, but first, some business. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle, at Rev Eric Mason. Muslims Want to Know is recorded on-site at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois. If you want to know more about the Friendship Center or want to support this podcast, visit www.safcchicago.com. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones, so if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. In our last conversation, you and I looked at the answers to the question, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, not 1. Can you please explain the Trinity again? In doing so, we looked at four different explanations of the Trinity. The Trinity is explained through cause. The Trinity is explained through mental acts. The Trinity as explained through relationships and the Trinity as explained to the family unit. Now, as you and I came to the end of our last conversation, I brought up the question that many of my Muslim friends have during discussions and conversations about the Trinity. And that question is this. I can't believe in the Trinity because Jesus is not God. Plain and simple. Where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me. And that is an excellent question. After all, if Lord Jesus is God, it would make sense that he would identify himself as God in the Bible, right? Now, like many of our other conversations, there's a short answer to this question and then a longer explanation that needs to follow. So, where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me? The short answer to our question is this. Nowhere in the Bible does Lord Jesus say the words, I am God, worship me. But this in itself raises a great question. Just because Lord Jesus doesn't say, I am God, worship me, does that automatically disqualify him from being God? And what do I mean by this? Well, look, I live in the city of Chicago. I've lived here for about 13 going on 14 years now. I've taken public transit downtown enough times to have heard at least a few people over the years make the statement, I am God, worship me. And I must say, it was very apparent that they were not God. Now, how do I know this? 
Well, because anyone making such a claim about themselves should be able to verify such a claim by their words and their actions. Do you see what I mean here? The claim of being God, although important, is not the most important thing when it comes to verifying whether that claim is actually true. Although I'm sure those folks on the trains really believed they were God, their inability to demonstrate such claims is proof they truly were not. So what about Lord Jesus? Well, I believe that when we look at what Lord Jesus claims about himself, and when we look at his subsequent actions and the reactions of those around him, it becomes clear that Lord Jesus not only claims to be God, but demonstrates his deity through his actions. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've covered much about Lord Jesus' deity in many of the other episodes. And this episode is not meant to be an exhaustive study on the topic of Lord Jesus' deity, but it's meant to be a continuation of our previous conversations. Before we start our time together, let me open our conversation with a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. So, where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God? Worship me. Again, he doesn't use those exact words. But for our purposes today, I want us to listen to one of the stories from the Gospels. This story is one of many, but I think it's a clear moment in Lord Jesus' life in which he makes a claim about his deity. Now, unlike my story about the few people on the trains in Chicago, we will see how Lord Jesus then confirms his claim through both his actions and the reactions of those around him. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or those with him to eat, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And there it is. And now you might be saying to yourself, Eric, I didn't hear a claim in there at all. And I know this story can actually be quite confusing at first, so let me shed some light on what's going on here. The Jewish laws as given to Moses by God included provisions for a day of rest, called the Sabbath. 
work was prohibited on the Sabbath. Now, when the Pharisees saw Lord Jesus' disciples picking and eating grain, they interpreted that as working the fields or doing labor. So they confronted Lord Jesus about why his followers were doing work on the Sabbath. And in response, Lord Jesus refers to an instance from the Old Testament in which King David broke the letter of the law. David and his followers ate bread which had been dedicated to the Lord and was meant to be eaten by the priests. Now, according to the letter of the law, this was something King David was not allowed to do. And yet, he was allowed to. See, King David and his men were famished in this story, and the provision of bread to him and his men satisfied their real hunger. Provision for the hungry supersedes the law that the bread was only to be eaten by the priests. Now, Lord Jesus goes on and he makes the argument that the priests in the temple violate the letter of the law by working on the Sabbath as well. Lord Jesus is making the observation that priests are allowed to work on the Sabbath because their work is on behalf of the people. Although the people are called to a day of rest, the priests may work so that the people might be drawn closer to God. Now, the argument Lord Jesus is using here is actually a rabbinical argument or an argument that was used amongst teachers at that time. It's referred to as Kal Wahamer. Fun fact, Kal Wahamer is Hebrew for light to weighty or light to heavy. As a rabbi or teacher, Lord Jesus is using this argument to point to the fact that if a thing was true for something or someone less important, then it must certainly be true for something or someone much more important. But who could be greater than David? Who could be greater than the priests? What or who could be greater than the temple? Lord Jesus answers that question when he says, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Hold up. Full stop. And now you can ask the question, Eric, why are we stopping? Because Lord Jesus just said he's God. Wait, you didn't hear that? And you can go back and listen and say, no, Eric, actually what Lord Jesus said was, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Right. Lord Jesus just used terminology that is foreign to many of us today. But the title, Son of Man, would not have been lost on the religious leaders of his day. In addition to that, he also just gave a correct interpretation of what it means to follow God's law. And with regards to following God's laws, Lord Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And this is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Lord Jesus uses this verse to correct the Pharisees' understanding about laws surrounding the Sabbath. In this case, while not working may be the letter of the law, working to show mercy on those who are hungry is the heart of the law. See, as the Son of God and the Word of God, Lord Jesus is teaching these leaders what the true meaning of the law is.
And then Lord Jesus follows up his teaching by saying, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And maybe you're still thinking, but couldn't the Son of Man refer to us all? You know, like a generic term, we are, we are all sons and daughters of men. I mean, sure, there, there is a generic sense of the words son of man, but that's not the sense in which Lord Jesus uses it. And the reason I know this is because the term son of man is tied to an Old Testament prophecy which is linked to God's anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So who is Daniel seeing here? Well, Daniel is receiving a prophetic vision of future events. In this vision, he sees one like a son of man who is given everlasting dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now what Daniel is essentially saying is this, I see someone who looks like a man, He is a man, and yet he's not. He is so much greater. And this person approaches God and inherits and receives all that is God's. What Daniel saw was a vision of the resurrected Lord Jesus, fully God, fully glorified man, one like the Son of Man. He then sees the Son of God inheriting and receiving everything from God the Father. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. When the Pharisees and the religious leaders heard Lord Jesus say, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, they instantly recognized he was making a very big claim about himself. Now, does Lord Jesus ever say, I am God, worship me? No, but by claiming to be the Son of Man, Lord Jesus was saying, I am God. He just used different language to convey his claim. So Lord Jesus gives us the correct interpretation of the law. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Lord Jesus reveals why he has the authority to interpret the law, because he is God. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And now the question remains, does Lord Jesus then exercise his authority in a way that reveals his deity and proves his claim? Let's read the rest of the story. Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, Who among you, if he's had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So, it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, Stretch out your hand. 
so he stretched it out, and it was restored as good as the other. Remember my story about the people on the train? A person with serious mental health concerns might truly believe that he is God. It's not the claim that's the most important thing, but the demonstration of that claim. If that person demonstrates that he's God, well, you bet we're all going to start taking notice. So it was with Lord Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. The Pharisees' interest was piqued, so they allowed him to actually come into their synagogue. And in the synagogue, there was a man with a shriveled hand. In order to put Lord Jesus to the test, the Pharisees then asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Lord Jesus already gave the correct interpretation. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And now in the synagogue, he clarifies what that interpretation means. It is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Lord Jesus then heals the man's withered hand in front of all the Pharisees. But in their minds, he still broke the letter of the law. But while sacrifice or not working may be the letter of the law, mercy, which is an extension of love and grace from one being to another, is the heart of the law. Because Lord Jesus is the Son of God, and because God is love, he can do nothing except will the good of the other. In this case, although it's against the law to do work, it is lawful to extend mercy, grace, and love on the Sabbath to those who desperately need it. As a further demonstration of his lordship over the Sabbath, Lord Jesus, of his own power and authority, heals the man, thus demonstrating through his actions his claim that he is God and thus worthy of our worship. And now the final clue for us comes not from Lord Jesus, but from the Pharisees. Is Lord Jesus really claiming to be God here or, or not? Lord Jesus' claim about being the Son of Man was considered blasphemy by the Pharisees and the law, and the punishment for blasphemy was death. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. So did Lord Jesus say, I am God, worship me? Not using those words, but as our story today demonstrates, he certainly claimed to be God. He interpreted God's law as only God could, and he demonstrated that he was God by healing a man with a withered hand. I'll end our time here with this quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet 
and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that as you continue to seek God, you ask for visions and clarity on all these Christian claims. If you want some resources for further study, I encourage you to take a look at some of the books that I use for my research today. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, the Pillar New Testament Commentary on the Book of Matthew by Leon Morris, the New American Commentary on the Book of Matthew by Craig Blomberg, and the New American Commentary on the Book of Daniel by Stephen Miller. The Bible translation I use is the Christian Standard Bible. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. If you like this podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all new episodes. Also, would you take a minute and review this podcast? The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, you can submit questions to our official Twitter handle at Rev Eric Mason. Muslims Want to Know is recorded on-site at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois. And if you'd like to know more about the Friendship Center or want to support this podcast, visit www.safcchicago.com. As always, I encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or co-worker and ask them about the things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. Now from our recording studio at the South Asian Friendship Center in Chicago, Illinois, to wherever you're listening from, I just want to say thank you so much for continuing our conversation. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you.